Well, good morning. Welcome to Lifestone. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, school's about to start for many. Yay. Yay. Jaron is excited about that. I appreciate the enthusiasm. Um, just an interesting, I don't know, time of the year, I think, as it's kind of a transitional time for many, not, not for everyone, but uh, as people are getting their kids back in school and everything. And uh, I know a lot of people travel in the summer, and so it's good to see uh, some faces back and stuff. So we're glad you're here. If you're new here and you haven't had a chance to go by the new here uh, little booth there in the lobby, please go by there. We just want to give you a gift and, and let you know that we appreciate you being here, let you know a little bit about what we're, what we're about as a church. And also, if you have not, now I don't want you guys who have been here a while to get sick of this, but if you haven't texted in to our texting thing uh, in, in the program, there's a number there. Um, it is this number that I have memorized, but I forgot it. Um, but it's in your program. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to text in to get connected and hear about what's going on in our church, just a great way for us to communicate to you. Uh, please do that. Take that opportunity. and It's really easy to get out of it. All you do is text stop if, if for some reason you don't want to hear from us because you don't like us. But we're very sensitive, so don't do that. Um, no, but we're glad to hear this morning. Uh, let's take a time to pray, not just to hear me pray, but would you guys take an opportunity to just pray and reflect this morning? God, we take this time to just pause. We rarely do that, it seems like, in our culture and in our lives, to pause and reflect not on us, not on others around us at this moment, but just on you, what you want to teach us. God, I pray that uh, we, our hearts would be open, our, our, our minds would be open to your truth. Um, and God, I pray everything that's done here this morning brings you honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, we're still in Romans. If you've been with us, uh, just absolutely love this book. And we're in the therefore chapter. Or uh, we, I, I like to use the New Living Translation a lot. Um, there's a, just so many good translations that I, as I'm studying, I look at all sorts of different translations. They're all saying the same thing. Um, and uh, in many translations, it'll be the therefore chapter. And it's the so what or therefore based on what? 11 chapters of what God has done to make us right with him. That we are incapable, it is impossible for us to be right with God on our own. With our own systems that we come up with, with our own morality, with our own whatever it is. We've gone through all of that uh, for 11 chapters that it's God makes us right with himself. And we accept this incredible free gift of being made right with him by faith alone. By simply trusting in the promise and the gift and the completed work of Jesus and what he's done. But then it changes us. It absolutely changes us as the spirit of the living God lives within us. Is one of the many things that happens to us when we receive this free gift of salvation. The spirit of the living God lives within us and wants to work and, and uh, do what God uh, wants to accomplish here in this world through us. And so that's what chapter 12 really focuses in on. And last week, my wife was teasing me. She can do whatever she wants. She's <clears throat> pretty. Um, 
But she was teasing me because I was like focusing in on half a verse. <laughs> and, we, and I preached over half a verse last week. Well, well this week it's going to be two verses. All right, we're going to go crazy. All right, with two verses. We're going to look at Romans 12, 10 through 12. And what we did is do kind of, we did a quick overview of, of chapter 12 when we hit it. And then it is such a crucial, important verse for the Christian life that I really wanted to focus in on many of these concepts that were, that were presented with in this chapter. And Romans 12.10, let me read it. It says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Verse 11, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. And so in the beginning, the very beginning of that, uh, those two verses, this incredible passionate plea from Paul saying, therefore, because of what God has done, his incredible love and mercy that we do not deserve and can't earn, that he showered upon us, therefore, love each other with genuine affection. Why? Because we've experienced incredible genuine affection from God. He displayed it. He proved it. He showed it. And that that's how we're supposed to live. So we get this crazy concept. I don't know if it's crazy. But this concept that to love God is really impossible, I would say. I really wrestled with this. I'm like, should I say it that strongly? I think pretty much impossible <laughs> without loving people, and even Jesus. So I, I want to prove that point, because that's a pretty strong point. Because we've had a history, and I say we, if you look at the Christian movement, there have been groups that say, you know what, I'm just going to love God all by myself. I'm going to retreat and go off and just kind of uh, have, have um, none of the world around me influence me because I'll isolate myself so much and it'll just be me and God and I'll just love God. And I don't see how that is supported in Scripture. Um, but we see these, uh, they're kind of known as monastic movements. You see them also in other religions. Uh, if, you think, if you think of monks that go and they go to a monastery, and they're isolated from the world and, and the community, and they just have their own community. Um, you see that in Buddhist monks. You, you see this in... in uh, I, I thought it was funny as I was studying the monastic movements in modern um, uh, versions of it. In Scientology, uh, there's, there's an option for people following that religion to become monastic and... and and just have the church take care of all their needs, all their, their housing and their, and their food and their everything, health care and everything. And if you sign up to, to kind of follow that religion in that way and just completely isolate yourself, um, you, you sign a billion-year contract, <laughs> which I shouldn't laugh. I just thought it was funny because I had to read it again. I was like, they give you a billion dollars if you're monastic in this in Scientology? Oh, no. You're signing up for a billion years. So pretty strong commitment. Um, but we see these movements in other religions, but even in the Christian religion that we pull away and with just me and God. Is, and what I think is interesting, it's as though we think God needs something from us, like needs us to focus our lives on, on trying to, you know, 
encourage him or love him when what he's really called us to do and why when we get saved, we don't just immediately go to heaven. I think one of the big reasons is he's left us here to be ambassadors for him, to love, to show his love to other people. And so let's look at some of these verses that follow along this pattern. But we have this inclination to just think, well, I can just love God without loving people. Because guess what? People are harder to love <laughs> than God. And that's, I think, one of the challenges. So in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, um, Jesus is, is asked this question, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And they were trying to stump Jesus. They were trying to make him look bad, trying to catch him and discredit him as he had this very strong movement even at this point. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6.4, oh yes, we know that. What a great answer. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So it's kind of weird. You ever get frustrated when you ask someone a question and they don't answer it how you've phrased it? Well, that's what Jesus does. Because the question is, teacher, which is the most important? Give me singularly the top one. And then in discrediting him, hey, there's all these factions of different groups that, that like to emphasize this uh, aspect of following God or this aspect. And you're going you're gonna to lose some of your momentum as people go, oh, you're one of those who, who, who emphasizes that when this is more important. And so Jesus, he doesn't answer the question how it is phrased. In this, give us one. He says, I can't separate these two. This is equally as important. Loving others. Um, I think that's, that's more shocking than, than, especially as he first taught it, than maybe if you've been exposed to it before. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Again, speaking to the fulfillment, everything that God is pointing us to do, to satisfy what he wants us to accomplish, this is focused on others, loving others. It does no wrong to others. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. So let, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So we also kind of on top of this idea that this is what God has called us to do. We love him. And how do we do that? How do we really get our hands around that? By loving others. And specifically, a focus is on loving brothers and sisters in Christ. People who, who are part of God's family and put their, have put their trust and faith in Jesus. Um, uh, John 13. I just, I'm just hammering you. Trying to get this point across. Uh, so here's a couple more verses. John 13, 34 says, So now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is how someone is genuinely showing that they really are a follower of Jesus. What is the proof? How we love God? Not specifically. 
But in this practical way of how do we love God, it's by loving other people. And that's an you know, incredibly strong statement, especially as Jesus is saying, this is, this is new. And I'm showing it because we're commanded before in the Old Testament to have this kind of love and love God. But, but he's saying this is something, this is kind of a different uh, approach that, than, than what you guys are, are used to. First John 4, last one I want to share with you on this point. 4.20 says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. That's some strong language. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And again, that emphasizes fellow believers. But this very strong statement that you cannot claim. You might claim it with your lips, but it's not a true statement. That you love God if you don't love people. Um, so this is strong. And, and as we look at this Romans, hey, this is us. This is the new us. Because of what Jesus has done, we're new. And this is what the new us looks like. This, is, this really sums up what that looks like. That we're people who, who love the way God loves. Um, so I want to get real practical, though. Rather than just trying to make a point and... Prove to you this, this point that, that we must love other people and we can't separate that from loving God. Um, so let's look at practically in your program as we fill these out. As we see this statement, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other, that's presented to us as a command. And it's something, number one, this loving and honoring others starts with a decision. So it's this intentional decision that we have to make, and we're taught it because it doesn't come naturally. Like, like no one has to teach us, and the way this is phrased, it would be like, okay, um, love and savor and enjoy your favorite dessert, you know? You, you, you probably don't need a verse in the Bible that tells you that, right? <laughs> like, I'm fine. That's good. No problem. I could, you know, have a seminar on that. And if anyone's struggling with that, come see me. I can, you know, help you out with that area. Like, here, the Bible, the way that this command is given to us is saying, look, this is not natural. This is something that you have to make a commitment to, to reflect on what God has done. This isn't something that makes you right with God. That's been established for 11 chapters, right? That, that Jesus and what he accomplished makes us right. But in order to reflect and re to respond to what God's done and step into the life that God wants us to have and enjoy, because the thing is God's wisdom in following the way he wants us to live will be an incredible blessing to our life. Not that we, it will get rid of any hardships or issues in our life, but, but God's way is the best way to do relationships and to do life. And so it's a decision, and it's this command. So it's not, some, well, this will just come naturally to me. No, as we see this, hey, if I struggle with this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intentionally follow through with this and, and take action, because this has to do not with emotions or feelings, we'll kind of get more into that, 
but what I actually do and how I, and so it gets real practical as it goes on and says, well, honor other people. There's a practical side of it because you could just talk about emotions and, well, I love people because I get this warm feeling. And it says, no, let's, let's actually display that and do something and take action. Um, in Galatians five nineteen through 21, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And so I bring this up because here's naturally what the Bible says, this is how we respond without God and without following what he wants us to do. Uh, your natural desires, you follow the, the sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Okay, not the most encouraging list, you know, in the world, but we get this list of like, that's who I am without Jesus influencing my life. Those are my natural tendencies. Now, there may be some other things in my life that kind of steer me away from doing some of those things, maybe some consequences, maybe some, some cultural norms have been ingrained in me, maybe to not do some of these things. But naturally, these are the things that I would drift to. Um, so my whole point, though, in bringing up this list is so often, I think, when we think, okay, we're sinful against God or we're not following God, that we don't connect it to our relationships with other people. And if you look at this list, over half of those things up there directly have to do with your relationships with other people, not something directly you're sinning against God and it doesn't affect other people. But as you look at uh, your hostility, your quarreling, your jealousy, uh, your anger, your, your selfish ambitions, your dissension, your division, th- those are all relationship things. How we deal with other people. That's what the opposite looks like. And that's, you know, I think one reason it's, it's so important. And sometimes we just don't connect that that is um, often what God is pointing us to is what do our relationships look like? Number two, just trying to get real practical here. Real honoring has a real cost. Real honoring, and the kind of words and descriptors that are used here, genuine affection, take delight in honoring each other. Um, It's not just social politeness. Some of you guys came in this morning, and someone may may have just opened the door for you. That is kind and nice, and and hopefully shows some hospitality. You know, and maybe, maybe... Maybe even when you're out in, you know, town and you're at a restaurant or you're shopping, you might even, especially gentlemen, as you see a lady approaching, you know, some of these cultural norms that we, you might open the door for them, right? And that is nice and that's great and that's wonderful and that's honoring that person in a sense, but this is a whole nother level. This isn't just, oh, or maybe, now I haven't seen this happen yet in Utah, but maybe as someone is trying to get over into your lane, <laughs> you let them in, right? If that happens here, let me know if, that, if you ever see that. It'll be, you know, the uh, unicorn or whatever. Um, 
But you might, oh, wow, I'm honoring that person, letting, letting them in. That's great. That's wonderful and kind to do that. But that, it doesn't cost you very much, right? To, to, to wait three seconds and actually hold the door open for someone else. To let someone get in. I know we think it costs like everything and we're going to like, I don't know why that's such a hard thing to do. But, but this is actually talking about something that's a little more costly than those things. We, we saw last week a picture of, of Abraham um, giving his nephew Lot the choice of where he could settle. And that's a, that's a culture, an agrarian culture, where they had to have large portions. They were, they were uh, shepherding you know, flocks and stuff. And so of the land, the new land that they arrived in, Abraham said, you pick the choice area. Now that was costly, right? That was an incredible act of honoring uh, someone else. We see Jesus, of course, um, in, in washing. We talked about this last week, how he, uh, before he went to the cross, he wanted his followers to really understand what it meant to honor and serve others. So he did something that shocked his, his followers. He did something that only the lowly of the lowliest servant in the household would do back then, is wash the feet of the, of the guest. Uh, and, and he showed that. And I think what's interesting is that's not even the biggest way, of course, that Jesus was honoring them. Uh, as I even look, sometimes I think we put so much focus on that foot washing thing, which is, again, beautiful and wonderful. But it was kind of the ABC's primer elementary thing of, of pointing to an example of what that really looks like. Because then, as he shows this, you know, it's almost like, um, see Jesus run. See Jesus wash feet. Like, this is intro. This is pointing to something good and true and beautiful. But then, of course, what he went on to do was, uh, you know, incredibly costly. In Philippians 2, 3 through 9, one of my favorite passages, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Uh, look out only for, don't, that'd be a wrong way to read that. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above other names. That, of course, ultimately is this incredible picture of what Jesus did. It was ridiculously costly. Um, so in a, in, in a practical way, uh, I was trying to think of what that looks like in our culture. You ever go to a wedding and maybe you don't want to? Don't admit it or say names or anything. But, but maybe it's, you know, hey, this is someone who I need to go to that wedding um, because of whatever connection it, it might be. Or you're at the wedding and maybe you don't like the music or you don't like the setting or you don't like the decorations or you don't like the food or you don't like the whatever. 
But hopefully, if you're kind and nice and generous, you have an attitude of, guess what? It's not about me. Today is not about me. This isn't about me. This is about the people getting married and celebrating that. And those are the people, probably the bride, right, that that chose these things or whatever. I'm not, like, that's something in our culture we understand. I'm not going to make this day or this wedding about me, right? And, and it's just that same kind of attitude. Okay, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> you want to talk about a wedding, not about me, that I didn't plan? Um, I did a wedding once for a, a new uh, couple in our church. And we were thrilled and excited to have this couple in our church. They were so sweet. And God just got a hold of their lives. And, and they just were brand new believers and they were starting to, to figure out, like, responding, Romans 12. Like, they weren't to Romans 12 yet. They're in Romans 3, going, what? Jesus did all this, and he offers it as, as a free gift? I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. They accept this free gift. And these are brand-new believers, and they're like, we're, we're about to get married. Pastor Ben, will you marry us? Absolutely. Can I share the gospel at your wedding? Sure. That would be great. So I go to this wedding of these brand new believers. What, what tipped me off a little bit of how different it might be is that the um, wedding arch, the arbor, was made of beer cans. <laughs> True story. <laughs> okay. I was given a tuxedo t-shirt to wear <laughs> to perform the ceremony. Um, and th- I mean, no, you know, rehearsals, nothing. We're just doing the wedding. Um, as the bridesmaids came out in their Daisy Dukes, I thought, oh goodness, let's keep our eyes over here. Uh, hi ladies. And at the end of the ceremony, I do, I'm sharing the gospel and like the crowd is like, didn't expect that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and they decided, this is all pre-planned before they even said yes to Jesus. So, um, and then they, they got up. Oh, I didn't mention the um, inflatable water slide behind me. And they climbed up the water slide after I said, I now pronounce you man. And, you know, climbed up as a new couple to slide down together as their first act of a married couple. And it was funny, our administration pastor was there, you know, supporting them and, and him and his wife. And we were both just, you know, trying to not have the shocked look on our face and just love people. Um, what does this have to do with? That's what I, my brain went to and I thought, you know, this, this day isn't about me and where are they in their spiritual journey and what a great opportunity to share the gospel to, to, to this, uh, this group and, and to see them grow in their relationship uh, with God. And so um, that was costly to me, I think, somehow. Anyways, <laughs> it is a costly thing, not just, hey, we're going to be polite people, but it's actually to the point of honoring people that it, it actually costs us something. Number three, the more insecure I am, the harder it is to honor others. Um, confession time, I, I see this in myself as I evaluate kind of 
what God's doing in my own heart and life, and I see kind of attitudes in me that I'm like, ooh, I don't like that, and I don't think God does either, and what's happening to me. Um, I found when, when I'm around uh, people who are kind of, I don't, when I go to a conference uh, of ministry, and it's a big conference, and there's well-known, famous leaders and speakers, I get more critical. And I'm like, why do I do that? God has blessed these people with incredible leadership ability and everything, but it's, it's insecurity in myself, like in that setting, I think. And, and so instead of honoring them and going, how awesome that God has used this you know, prominent, well-known leader in Christian ministry to, to see just tons of people come to Jesus or, or whatever, um, I do the opposite. Instead of honoring them, I'm, I'm sitting there, in my little circle or whatever, criticizing. Uh, that's, that's my own insecurities. When I, was a, when I was a youth minister, one of my main objectives as a youth minister was to make sure that kids left the youth ministry uh, with a firm identity of who they are in Christ. Uh, just seeing how challenging it is for teenagers when they go out into the real world trying to trying to find their identity and, and sadly seeing them, you know, make bad choices to find their identity or try to find their acceptance or their worth and so many other things that are, you know, that, that come up short. And so I wanted them to know um, these, these very important things of, well, what is my identity? Uh, it is that, and we've walked through them for 11 chapters, right? If I've said yes to Jesus, I'm adopted into his kingdom. I'm, I'm righteous and worthy uh, not based on my own effort or merit or religious rituals, but based on the perfect righteousness of Jesus is, is miraculously credited to me as, as, as my own righteousness. And, and I have the, the, of God living in me, as we talked about earlier, and, and all these, one, my home is secure in heaven and all these beautiful things. In John 13, 3 through 5, it says, Jesus knew that the Father, I think this is a really interesting passage, um, I'm like, uh, I forgot it for a second, what, what it was referencing, but John is telling us how Jesus responds, but he tells us how he's responding based on what he thinks. So it's kind of interesting how it's presented to us. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had, that he had come from God and would return to God. And so... John is saying here, Jesus is about to do something, but just get into his mindset that he has. That's a pretty confident situation that you find yourself in, right? I have authority over everything, (laughs) and this is temporary, what I'm doing here, and I'm going to return. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Because, of course, Jesus knew who he truly was. He is God in the flesh. There was no insecurity with him whatsoever. So he did stuff that so often we're challenged with because of our own insecurities, right? To, To honor people, to love people. And so Jesus gives this beautiful picture, and really that's showing when we have that inability to do that, our own insecurities, um, and then uh, number four, we're going to look at the, this second verse that's a, the, in Romans twelve eleven. It says, never be lazy, 
but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Uh, a lot of translations will, will translate that enthusiastically as zeal. Uh, never, never stop having zeal for the Lord. And sometimes we have different ideas of what that means. But I think oftentimes we just think a passionate emotion. And, and I think that absolutely can come with it, but not necessarily. It has more. Number four, this enthusiasm is measured more by action than emotions. And because and it goes on to talk about what we do. Don't tell me you're passionate about something and, don't, and not follow through with any action towards it. You know, don't tell me you love your wife and then you're beating her, right? Don't tell me, you know, just you're emotional about something, but your actions don't follow it. So our, our actions are always more important. Um, and so when we say, okay, enthusiasm, man, that can look very different. In different settings, for different people, Dif- people are wired differently. You know, some people, their lifelong team that they've been chanting and rooting for will win the, you know, World Series or win the, the whatever, you know, the biggest title. And they will be like doing backflips, right? And telling everybody and shaking them and like, you know, happy Gilmore after he makes his putt or something, you know, and shaking his caddy and all. You know, there's that reaction, and then there's some people who are just like, yes, <clears throat> that's right. I think of the miracle, awesome movie, right, about the U.S. hockey team winning and the coach who is incredibly passionate, right, about what he's doing, but he's like, contain it, contain it, contain it, and he goes out into the hallway, and he's just like, ah, oh, yes. And, and just how he's wired, he, he just wasn't going to express you know, something that other players are jumping off each other, you know, whatever. And so we don't judge people's enthusiasm by some outward emotional display. I mean, sometimes it's just the, the culture you grow up in, the area of the country, you know, that, that you find yourself in. Um, so, so some people are more expressive and they're more emotive in that way, uh, but it's not talking about that, it's talking about dedication and commitment to the Lord. That's the zeal. That's enthusiasm. That you are dedicated, even when things are tough, even when your emotions don't follow, but you have a dedication and a loyalty and a commitment to serving the Lord. What Paul is saying is don't lose that. Not just your emotions, they'll come and go. But don't lose your your commitment to, to... um, honoring God with what you do. James one twenty seven says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. What does is, what is religion that God actually like look like? Not, not just emotion-based things that come and go, but actually actions where you're showing love in real practical ways so much so that you're helping the very least of these and, and those who are in need. Um, and then the last part, I think Paul's going through this saying, love people, honor people, it's costly, be enthusiastic. It, it can get tough. And here's where your emotions can really discourage you in not following and serving the Lord anymore is when life gets tough. So number five, when life gets tough, he ends it with choose hope, patience, 
and prayer. So he says, rejoice in our confident hope. And so we've, we've talked about that a lot. That as believers, this is not wishful thinking. Well, we just have this religion and we like it and it's just wishful thinking. No, it's based on, on confidence that there is evidence, that there is testable things that we can examine, that, that God has proved himself that, okay, this is not a hope that, oh, well, we hope Jesus returns and we hope that we're following God in the right way and that we hope, no, we as believers, as Christians, and this is unique to the Christian faith, we have a confident hope, a sure hope. Um, and then it and then it goes on to say, okay, uh, be patient in trouble. Um, just live day by day. That life is going to, you know, Jesus promised, in this world you will have trouble. But day by day, just have the patience, knowing that God's in control, and that he's going to work things out ultimately for your good because you love him. And that's a promise he gives for those who love him. And, and then the last thing is stay connected. Not just um, prayer in general, um, but just this connection that Jesus, bef- the, talking about before he goes to the cross, his teaching before he went to the cross was that his disciples, his followers, would remain in him, remain in him, remain in him, remain in him, remember. He said it 11 times. He said, remain, stay closely connected to God. And, and so he ends it with, don't let up on that at all. Stay connected in prayer. And prayer is simply communication with God. Uh, Paul talked about praying without ceasing. And that's kind of, I think some people think, oh, that's, you know, we continually, like, pray, like, without ceasing. What it means is don't stop praying. Don't have this cease. Oh, life gets tough. I tried following God. Things didn't work out. I'm going to go off to do something else. No, uh, it's this, this commitment and this connection, um, knowing that God's in, in control. So he encourages us at the end, saying, this can happen, and, and this can actually, if you get excited, like, oh, what? Pastor Ben was preaching about loving people and honoring them. Man, I'm excited about that. And then things get tough, and you're like, forget that. And I'm just going to go do my, that's why this is ended in this way. And so as we wrap up, I'm going to ask the band to come up here. They're going to share one last song. And this is a song of just celebrating, reflecting on what God's taught you and where he's leading you. Um, But as I said in the beginning, and I just want you, I want to end with this. This is the new you. That's what Romans 12 is. If God has changed your life and done this radical, crazy thing, that he says he accomplished for 11 chapters, and you have received that. And this is the new us. This is what our lives should look like. This is, this is what we should be known as. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, today, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. Why would you wait another minute? Why would you hear this message, know what God has done for you, that he offers this free gift to make you completely worthy, completely righteous, And it's something that we accept and receive by faith. Today's the day to accept that. There's no reason to to wait another day. So if you've never made that decision, we we just I pray that God would, would lead you to make that decision.